You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. Man, what a great morning already. The worship was in, in, incredible, and uh, this has been a great week for our church. Uh, just took a group to D.C., and uh, we had 12 folks go on the trip, and it was just a phenomenal, uh, uh, really, have you, have you ever watched Flip or Flop on HGTV or one of those shows? It felt like that because we did a huge renovation in just a matter of days, and they did an incredible, incredible job. And so uh, I know we blessed uh, our church planners uh, up in D.C. And man, night of worship this Friday. I hope you guys are pumped about that. And uh, we try to be as strategic as possible with this night. We know football is going on and um, that kind of thing, but it is an away game. And so we were trying to be as strategic as possible, and we hope you guys will make it a priority and uh, enjoy join us this, this Friday. It's going to be a great night. On September 1st, 1939, Germany invaded Poland. And as soon as they did that, France and England declared war on Germany, starting the beginning of World War II. And as the war efforts grew overseas, President Roosevelt, who was then our president here in America, as well as many congressmen at the time, had uh, this idea that they needed to stay out of the war uh, at all costs, if, if possible. And many congressmen at the time had what was called a non-interventionalist approach. And that just simply meant that, hey, we don't need to be involved in this since it doesn't directly uh, affect our borders. And so let's not intervene at this time. Well, as you know, on December 7th, 1941, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, killing over 2,400 Americans and wounding over 1,100. The very next day, uh, President Roosevelt, with a unanimous decision in Congress, declared war upon Japan, uh, closely followed by war on Germany. Every single person who had a non-interventionalist approach at that time all agreed it was time to go to war. So why did they feel it necessary at that time to go to war? Why? Why then? And the answer is this. When you realize you are under attack, you can either give up, give in, or give it all you got. And thankfully, they gave it all they had many sacrificing their life and securing freedom for you and I today. And we have to realize as a community of believers, as much as you want peace, as much as you want to try to stay out of the conflict, you and I are under attack. We're not under attack by culture, and it's not a political thing. We are in a war today, and because of that war, you and I have to wake up as followers of Christ. We've got to understand that we are not being attacked by culture. We're not being attacked by, you know, the, 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 the powers at B. The attack is coming from our enemy, and his name is Satan. Jesus said the enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God is trying to do in your life. And maybe you don't realize it today. Maybe you don't feel it today or tangibly see it with your eyes. But we have to begin to understand what the Bible talks about 
when it mentions spiritual warfare. We're going to see in Ephesians chapter 6 in this series that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against rulers and against authorities, but instead it's against the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil, and the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So as followers of Christ, we've got to accept and realize that we are under attack today. We're under attack. We are in a war, and so you and I need to declare war against this enemy. It's not against society. It's not against politicians. You've got to declare war against the real enemy, and the real enemy is Satan. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to study the book of Ephesians, and we're going to pray and ask that God would equip us with this truth from his word that we may fight and that we may fight well. We can't be passive. We can't take an interventionalist approach. We can't just try to stay out of it. The enemy is already wreaking havoc in your life. Every single person in this room has wounds. You have regrets. You have issues. The enemy is beating some of you down. Some of you are tormented mentally. He's tempting you and you are failing. He is at your doorstep and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God is doing in your life today. So we have to declare war against him and we have to prepare ourselves and we have to fight back. So, I mean, the question is, well, how do we fight? And in this series, I hope that we begin to learn how to fight appropriately. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter one. Today's title is The War Before. And so for the next five weeks, including today, we're going to study the book of Ephesians. We're going to work through each chapter, and we start with this idea that there is and was a war before. There's a war going on before you and I were even born. And today we're going to talk about that war, and I'm going to show you that this war over you, over me, has already been won. And because of that victory, You have the power to win the battles that you face today, whatever it is. If if you're battling insecurities today, if you're battling depression or emptiness today, if you're battling apathy or confusion today, whatever it is, because this war has already taken place and God has secured victory for you, that means that you and I today have the ability to defeat whatever we are facing And as we defeat those things in our life, we're able to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And so to serve God and to build his kingdom, to build his church during our life, and then to be able to leave a spiritual legacy to the next generation, he's equipped us to do that. And it all started way before we were even born. And so I'm going to go out on a limb here today. And just believe and assume that everybody here is here because you want to make a difference for Christ in the world. That's my assumption. I may be wrong for some of you, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that is my mentality as I preach today, that you are here today because you want to make a difference in the world for Christ. You want your life to matter, and you want to serve God faithfully. Because of that, I want us to discover how the war before shows us who we are today. So the war before way, 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 way before us happened. And because of that war, we know who we are today, that we might live for Christ tomorrow. And so as we look at Ephesians 1, we're going to start in verse 3. We're going to go through verse 14. And so let's just read the word of God together. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in, <clears throat> excuse me, in Christ as a plan for the fullness of life to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, some of you are, are here today, and perhaps you feel insignificant. The stress and the problems of your life are weighing you down in such a way that you're, you're living what we would call a defeated life. You feel like life doesn't really matter at this point, you really don't feel like you're, you're really doing much for God today, and you're just kind of living. There's not really any real purpose behind your work. There's not really any real purpose behind your marriage. There's not really any real purpose for some of you who might even be serving. But today, I believe you're going to learn a truth that can revolutionize your life. I know from, for a fact that that as I've, I've grown in my knowledge and, and understanding of these truths today, of who I am in Christ, it's changed my ministry and it's changed my approach to how I wake up in the morning and do life. And so I want us to start just by looking at some, some really powerful words here. And I'm going to write some things on, on the board here. And the first thing that we want to we wanna look at is, is what? What is God telling us and showing us in this first passage. And so if you have your Bibles, you may want to circle, underline these things as we look at them. But the first thing that we see that has happened is that we are blessed. We're blessed in Christ, he says in verse 3. It says in verse 3, or verse 4, that he chose us in Christ. It says that we are holy. And then it says again after holy, it says that we are blameless. These are good words. It says then that we are predestined. Make sure I spell this one right. Right? I'm going to talk about that today. Then he says in verse 5 that we are adopted. Right? These are good things. This is the what of what has happened to us. In verse 7, it says that we have experienced redemption. We've been redeemed. Right? And then it says that we have been, in verse 7, forgiven. What else does it say? On down to verse 11, it says that we are predestined again. So he says this twice. We'll keep going. Go to verse 13, and he says that we were sealed or guaranteed. And so this seal right here is a, is a guarantee that all of these things have happened. 
So this is the what. So this is who I am in Christ. I'm blessed, I'm chosen, I'm holy, I'm blameless, I'm predestined, I'm adopted, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, and I have been sealed with a guarantee through the gift of the Holy Spirit that all of this stuff has happened and it's who I am today. Now, let's look at how this happens. How does this happen? Well, go back up into verse 3 and it says that it happens first and foremost in Christ. And then he says in verse 4, in him. Talking about, obviously, Jesus again. In verse, into verse 4, it says that it happens in love. He predestined us in love. We're blameless in love. Look at verse 7. Again, it says this happens in him. See a theme yet? Look on down in verse, into verse 9, and it says in Christ again. Then we go to verse 10, in, you want to guess, him. <laughs> verse 11, in, him. I'm not making this up. This is what it says. Verse 12, in, Christ. I think he's trying to make a, a, a point here. Again, in verse 13, we're sealed in him. Yeah, so let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I think I missed a couple. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Through Jesus in verse, verse 5. So we've got, we've got through Jesus. So this is the how. So let's look at this. We've got, we've got this is the what that has happened to us. This is who we are in Christ. And this is how it happened. In Christ, in him, in love. In him, in Christ, in him, in Christ, in him. Through Jesus. Notice what's not in this column. What's not in this column is this happened, how? Because I prayed a prayer when I was little, or I was baptized, or I've lived a pretty good life. It doesn't say that how this happened is because I'm a pastor. It doesn't say this happened because I've done anything in and of myself that is good. Is everybody clear? This is what, this is how. Now let's talk about why this happened. Why did this happen? Go back up to the beginning here, actually in verse 5. This happened because of the purpose of his will, in verse 5. Verse 6, to the praise of what? Of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. Look down in verse 7, to the riches, the riches, nope, pretend that's not there, of his grace. Hop down to verse 9, making known to us how, making known what? His will. Verse 9 again, according to what? His purpose. Verse 10, beginning of verse 10, as what? In Christ, this is a plan. Hop down to verse 11. Why are we predestined? According to what? The purpose of him. Into verse 11, according to the counsel of what? 
his will. Verse 12, why is this happening in Christ? To the praise of his glory. Sometimes it's helpful to write these things down. Sometimes it's helpful to see them before us. Verse 14, why again? To the praise of his glory. All right, so we're tracking so far. We're seeing what's happening. The what of, of what's happening is that when I am coming to Jesus and, and by faith receiving him as my Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we're reborn. We're a brand new person. He gives us a new identity. My identity is not what I do. I'm a pastor, and, 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 and that's what I do, but that's not who I am. I could be a banker, I could be a pastor, I could be a professional athlete. That's what I do, but who I am is I'm blessed, I'm chosen, I'm holy, I'm blameless, I'm predestined, I'm adopted, I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, and I'm sealed. I'm guaranteed that all this happened, not through my effort, not by what I've done, not by how holy I am or how holy I am living. All of this happened how? Through him. Through Christ, in love, in Jesus. Why did all this happen? Purpose, praise, his grace, his will, his purpose, his plan, his purpose, his will, his praise, his praise. You see, some of us don't know who we are today. We sing songs that this is who we are in Christ, and, 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 and these are great songs to sing. And, and, and the reality is some don't live in that light. We still live as we are unholy. We still live as if we are terrible people. We still live in light of the fact that we've made some mistakes and that we have shame we still believe the lies that the enemy tells us that we're not good enough, that God doesn't have a plan for us, that God can't use us, that your marriage is never going to get better, that you're never going to get out of debt, that you're never going to overcome that sin. You see, the battle happens between my ears, and the enemy constantly bombards you with all of these thoughts and with all of these lies, and he wants to tell you who you are today. And so we have to return to the word of God that says that in Christ, we are a brand new creation. And in this new creation, we are a brand new person. The old person has died. And as a disciple of Christ, this war has to be fought. And we have to understand that this war has already taken place. God has already fought this battle for us. And he has already given the victory to you. And so he says, in verse 3, he says that we are blessed. And he says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Let's kind of dive into it a little bit. That we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now, God blesses us physically. And so we have health today. And you're able to get up and walk. And you have a mind to have a job and to get, in a, you know, get a paycheck. And so he's blessed us physically. But even more important and even more amazing are the spiritual blessings that God gives to you and I. These enable us to live our life in such a way that we're able to, listen, control our thoughts. We're able to control what we say. We're able to overcome our sin. Spiritual blessings are the blessings that help you overcome depression and loneliness and, 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 and draw you in a deeper relationship with God. 
This spiritual blessing brings peace and contentment. And some of you don't know what peace and contentment feels like because you're always looking for that next paycheck or that next, you know, salary or that next job or that next whatever. And you're never satisfied and you're hungry all the time and you're going and you're going. The spiritual blessing of God is this contentment and peace in life. And it's, and it's, and it's us being able to take a deep breath no matter what we're facing in life and go, God's in control. God has a plan. God has purpose for what is happening in my life. And these spiritual battles have already been won. Therefore, you and I have the ability, because of what has happened, to overcome these sins and these issues today. You see, we're born with the sin nature. And that means that every single one of us, we're alienated from God. And we deserve punishment. Every single person in here deserved hell. This sin nature creates in us a deep greed, a deep dissatisfaction. It creates a selfishness in life. And we cannot overcome that basic selfishness in our life apart from God. Everything we do is twisted by that desire in ourselves called sin to do what we want to do. And the only way to fight against it is to be reborn. The only way to overcome it is to experience this new birth so that our character is freed from this urge. This new creation, this new man, this new woman is in Christ, and he gives us the ability to experience his spiritual blessings to mature and to grow. Without those spiritual blessings, we don't mature, we don't grow. In your marriage, if you are still fighting about the same things today that you were 10 years ago, that means that the spiritual blessing of of maturity and growth in your life is struggling. There should be growth. There should be moving forward and growing closer to Christ. The spiritual blessings of, the, of, of God are given to us for this changing and for this maturing. Now, secondly, he says in verses 4 and 5 that we're chosen in Christ. So that we're blessed. Like every one of us are blessed. And secondly, we're, we're chosen. So The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church that he started in a city called Ephesus. And so that's where we get the name Ephesians. This was a very diverse, multicultural city. It was a large city, a lot of activity, a lot of worship of false gods, very religious and spiritual people, a lot of uh, of sorcery and that kind of thing. And this is why Paul speaks of some of these issues. And and so, so it's in that context that he writes this letter and he starts off the letter with a very deep, theological truth. And he uses the word predestined. He uses the word chosen. Now, typically in church life and in the Christian world, we don't like to talk about things that are hard to understand. And and we definitely don't like to preach about things that are are hard to understand because, well, they're they're difficult and, and they might be divisive or offensive to some people. But The Apostle Paul jumped right into it, and so I'm going to jump into it today as well. You know, the word predestined in church is kind of like that word that oftentimes Christians just kind of bleep out or just kind of, you know, forget about when they read the Bible. And so they go through that and they bleep it out. You know, it's like that conversation you have with your friend, and as you're having that conversation, you just kind of have to whisper certain words, you know. It's like I was eating lunch with my cousin the other day. We were at Calhoun's, <clears throat> we were eating. You know my cousin, he's the crazy one in the family. And so you do that. You whisper certain things you don't want people to hear. <clears throat> some, of, some of us in the church life, you know, 
whisper this word. So it's like, yeah, Pastor Trent, he preached on predestination yesterday, and it was, woo, way over my head, and I don't know, right? And and so that's kind of how it is. I, I get that. But the first thing that we have to understand is that we don't need to be nervous about these words. You don't need to be timid about these words. In fact, we need to embrace them. We need to understand them. We don't need to be uncomfortable as a church. And I understand why some people grew up in churches and whoever the pastor was would preach sermons against, you know, issues like this or words like this. And, and you love brother whoever. Brother Earl was the man. He loved your family. He was a good person. But brother Earl bashed this word and he bashed this understanding. And so I mentioned the word. We read the word and you kind of tense up, you know. You're like, oh, Lord, we're going to talk about it, right? And so, and so it's a little tense. Now, if you're new to church, you're like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's okay. We're going to dive into it. But, but there are some people who are sweating a little bit today because they don't know what I'm going to say today, and, and, and they're, not gonna, they're not sure what they're going to tell their kids when they leave today. <laughs> and so what I want us to understand, first and foremost, we, we don't have to be understand. We don't have to you know, be afraid of this. And we do have to realize that when it comes to salvation, you bring nothing to the table. When it comes to your faith in Jesus, when it comes to salvation, The only thing that you bring to that environment is your sin. You don't bring any good works. You don't bring any good attitudes. You don't bring anything in and of yourselves where God would look at you and say, I like that guy. I'm going to choose him. It's not happening. In fact, because the only thing that you bring to the table is sin, it shows us that that's why salvation is even necessary. And so we want to understand this in this light as we dive into it because the, the, the ability and the, and, and the opportunity for salvation rests totally in the hands of God. You don't have the ability to do anything apart from God. And the more you get away from how God makes you holy, how God blesses and chooses, makes you holy and blameless, adopts you and redeems you and forgives you, The further you get away from how God does that for you, and the more you get into the idea that I'm bringing something to the table, or I make myself holy, or I can can do something to, to make myself more worthy, the further away from the gospel you get, and the more religion builds up in your heart, and the more icky church feels and the less freedom you experience in Christ. Why? Because it becomes about rules and it becomes about things that you're doing instead of resting in the grace that God provides for us. And as we experience this truth, we can walk in the fullness of that joy and it allows our worship to be deeper. And so we really are in a war today against the enemy. And the enemy wants to use this, even this topic to divide churches. And a lot of churches have split over this issue and and the understanding and how they deal with it. And, and we're not going to let that happen today. We're not going to let disunity happen. We're going to let this be a big deal. We're just going to read the word of God for what it is and to the best of our ability, seek to understand it. But the Bible talks about predestination and election a lot. And so we can't just avoid it. We can't just bleep it out or whisper about it. We really need to understand what it means. All throughout the scripture, we see these principles taught. Here are a few if you're taking notes. In Acts 4.28, Romans 8.29, Romans 8.30, 1 Corinthians 2.7, Ephesians 1.5, Ephesians 1.11, Matthew 24.22, Matthew 24.24, Matthew 24.31, Mark 13.20, Mark 13.12, Luke 18.7, Romans 8.31, 1 
Romans 9, 11, Romans 11, 7, Romans 11, 28. 1 Timothy 5, 21, 2 Timothy 2, 10, Titus 1, 1, 1 Peter 1, 1, 2 Peter 1, 10, 2 John 1, 1, 2 John 1, 13, to name a few. It's all over the place. So why would we, as the people of God, run from a truth that is everywhere? And that, that's, just, that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. I didn't even hit the Old Testament. So we're not afraid of this. We're not going to be intimidated by this, and we're definitely not going to ignore it. So let's find out why. Let's remember the why. The why is right here. The why is that God had a purpose. God, God wants us to bring our praise to him. He is filled with the riches. It's his will. It's his purpose. It's plan. And it all boils down to our praise to him. And so as we seek to understand it, then we seek to grow in our praise and our understanding of who he is. And so the word chosen or the word elected just means that from the very foundations of the world, God has a sovereign plan to save a large portion of the human race, and he moves, and he moves heaven and earth to accomplish that. And the word predestination, the actual Greek word, means to mark off, and the, word, and the prefix pre means that God is marking off beforehand a group that he is going to save. And so to predestine means that you decide or you ordain ahead of time what destiny you will have. So all things work together for your good because you were chosen and loved before you even existed. And so the war before shows us that God's purpose in predestination is to bless you. His purpose cannot be defeated by anyone. And our salvation is not an afterthought. God doesn't come up with this afterthought after he creates you. The war before is that he chose you. The scripture says here, even before the foundations of the world. So that's simply what it means. So let's talk about what it doesn't mean. I know how people sometimes try to explain this. And sometimes the explanation is, well, what God is doing is he is looking into the future. And he's seeing that Trent is, is, is going to pray a prayer and Trent's going to be a decent guy. And so because he's going to say, yes, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to predestine him. I'm going to save him. And that's wrong for, for many, many reasons. But the, the, the two biggest reasons that this is wrong is because if God is looking into the future, and obviously God knows the future, but if he's looking into the future and he's seeing what I am or am not going to do, and he's basing my salvation on what I am or not going to do, then ultimately my salvation rests in what I do. And we know that the Bible teaches the exact opposite. In fact, we're going to read it in Ephesians chapter 2 next week, that we are saved by faith alone. It is by the grace of God that we are saved. And so God's grace is the unmerited favor of God, which means that we cannot or we do not earn it. And if we earn something, then it ceases to be grace. And so we're saved by grace through faith alone. And of course, God knows the future, but he is not basing his decisions on what he is finding out as he looks. He doesn't have to even look ahead to find out what's going to happen. He already knows. My mind is blowing you, even as I'm talking about it. <laughs> we, are we tracking with this? So that's not, we, we take a second to realize what it's not. But we also see in scripture that it's clear that repentance and faith are essential to our salvation. And that's our part. But even the first step of our repentance is a gift from God. In fact, Jesus says in John 6, that no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So 
so the, the, the heavenly Father, through the Spirit, is, is drawing us to Jesus so that evidence that we are even repenting or have faith in Jesus is showing that the Father is already drawing us. Some of you, this is your first time here. You're not here by accident. Some of you have just started coming to church and you don't know a whole lot about church or the Bible and, and you're here. And the reason why you're here is not because of me. It's not because of the friend that invited you. It's not because of this building. You are here because your heavenly father is drawing you to his son, Jesus. That's pretty awesome. Purpose. Will. Purpose. Plan. Purpose. Will. God doesn't do anything by accident. You're not an accident. Even if you're the youngest child by 10 years, you're not an accident. <laughs> Bless God, I'm the youngest child. God had a plan for me. So we've got to affirm this. In, sec- in, in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching, and the people say, what must we do to be saved? You remember what Peter says? Repent. Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And so they do. So, so the, the, the idea here, and this, this is just one passage, but many passages tell us that we need to repent and believe in Jesus to be saved. We have to confess our sin to, to be saved. And predestination is teaching us that, that the grace of God is given to us to actually do that. You and I would not come to that decision without the grace of God. So God is drawing us. God is bringing us closer to him. And yes, he is saying that you must repent and you must believe in Jesus. And so the mind-blowing truth for us in this passage is that Jesus gets all the credit for saving you, and yet you are held responsible for your actions. We need to affirm that God causes all things to happen and that he does so in such a way that he up holds our ability to make willing and responsible choices, choices that have eternal consequences, and that we are held accountable for those actions. And yes, we must respond. Yes, God predestines us and saves us. And yes, we must respond. And God affirms both. The Bible teaches both. It's not like God does all the saving and we don't have any responsibility. And it's not that it was your perfect free will and you chose and it was all about you. No, it was, you're responsible, and God saves. And sometimes in our finite little minds and brains, when we can't logically understand something, we just preach against it, we hate it, we run from it, we ignore it, we whisper it, we avoid it. But listen, I don't understand how my television works, but I watch it every day. I enjoy those 2,000 channels or whatever it is, and I only watch like one or two stations, but that's beside the point. I don't understand how it all works, but I still am able to enjoy it. And so in this, uh, this, this deep theological truth here, the point is salvation is not something that I do on my own. God enables it. God empowers me. And I'm held responsible for my decisions, which means in his purpose of salvation, he is saying that my decisions are real and have consequences, which means that I'm not a robot. You are not a robot. It means that, yes, in fact, we do have real actions, real choices that have real consequences. And so we are affirming both. So here's the questions that I I think loom 
as we talk about the subject. And the first one is, uh, if God is choosing some to go to heaven, is he choosing some to go to hell? Now, that's a difficult discussion. I'm going to answer it in about 30 seconds. <laughs> the reality is, when we look at the Bible, we don't see that God is sending people because he wants them to go to hell. What we see is in, for instance, 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his purpose, or fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So this shows us, as well as many others, that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He's desperately pleading for you to repent of your sins and to come to Jesus today. He, he is not forcing you to go. In fact, he is pleading with you through his word and through men and women like me to come to Jesus. That is his heart. That is his desire. That is what the Great Commission is all about. But the fact remains that some of you will reject him. Some of you will never respond to him in faith because you have real decisions and you have a real response and you are not a robot. Second question that we have is that does this mean that if I'm predestined, I get to live a wild life of sin? I'm going to, I'm going to heaven. Sweet. I can go ahead and, you know, have a, you know, a few sexual experiences and I can go to Vegas and I can drink whatever and live however I want to. And Paul says specifically over and over again in the book of Romans, specifically in Romans 6, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So, our mentality isn't, oh, okay, we're pre we go do whatever we want to do. No, the reality is, if we are in fact chosen by God, if in fact our faith is authentic, then we're going to seek to live a life that is holy. We're going to seek to live that life that honors God. We're not going to be perfect, but we're going to seek to do that. In other words, your salvation is not a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? It's a truth that deepens our, our, our faith. Another question that we get sometimes is, is God wrong or is God unfair because he is allowing people to go to hell? It's a good question. Is God unfair that he allows everyone or he allows some to, to go to hell? If he was all loving, should, wouldn't he just save like the universalists believe that everybody's going to heaven? Everybody's going to get to go. Well, that, 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 that's not what scripture teaches us. And so is God unfair for letting that happen? Well, we have to understand that we choose to sin. You choose to reject Jesus or not. We're held responsible for that rejection. The Bible says that we are enemies before Jesus, and his offer is given to everyone today, and yet, again, some will reject it. Think about it like this. Let's say your neighbor has a party, and he invites 30 people over, and the purpose of that party is to commit mass suicide. And the party begins, and they light the house on fire, and they sit in this house waiting to burn to death. As a good neighbor, you say, whoa, 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 I got to go next door, and you bust through the door in the smoke, in the flames, and you find these suicidal people there who are about to die, and you reach down to pick one of them up and to get them out, and he kicks, and he screams, and he says, no, I don't want to, leave me alone, but you pick him up anyway over your shoulder, and you carry him, and you save him. 
And then you're able to go back in and you're able to save one more as they kick and scream. And you go back in and you're able to save one more. And you do that until eventually you die of smoke inhalation. Would you be viewed as a hero or a villain? Would you be viewed as a hero or someone who is unfair? You'd be a hero. You'd be a hero. You, you save some, right? And so the I, idea is that you would be praised. No one would accuse you of being unjust or unfair because you didn't save every suicidal person in the burning house. You didn't have to save any of them. But you were able to save some. You see, when you sinned, you lit the house on fire. And in your sin, you kicking and screaming love your sin. And you rejected Jesus. But it was God's son who came into the house and picked you up in those burning flames and saved you. And for that act, we praise God. For that act, we lovingly recognize that he is not unfair because a group, uh, you know, the world essentially is rejecting him. We are praising God for the fact that he saved us. Question four, I would say, is how do you know if you're predestined? That's oftentimes a question we talk about. How do you know? Well, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Yeah. Then you know you're predestined. Well, what if I haven't done that, Trent? What, what if I haven't you know, put my faith in Jesus that I haven't really given my life to him. How, how do I know if I am? Well, the offer is given to you today. Give your life to Jesus. Turn from your sin. Turn to the one who saved you. And then you'll know. You say, well, what about my friend? How do we know if my friend is or not? You don't know. You don't know their heart. You don't know my heart. I don't know your heart. Only God knows my heart. Only God knows your heart. That's why the great commission is to go and tell that's why there is a sense of urgency that we have to go into that burning house and say, Jesus is the way of salvation. The gospel is life. Jesus is life. This is why we preach it and teach it and encourage everyone to come to our church and experience it because there is hope and power and forgiveness in this gospel. So what we have to understand is that God is doing this not by accident, but he is doing all of this intentionally and on purpose. He has a plan we look at this passage of scripture and we see that he's not doing anything recklessly. He's not doing anything sporadically. He is doing this intentionally. Everything is in God's hands. Everything is in God's in his control. And when it comes to my salvation, my life is in the hands of God. We see that we are sealed. And I am sealed by the guarantee of the Holy Spirit here. So I know, and this is why Jesus says, there's, there's no way that anybody can snatch my sheep out of my hands. Why? Because it's guaranteed. It's not based on what you do or say tomorrow. It's based on what he has made you. This is who you are. The war before, it's who you are. Some of you aren't living in this light. You're living as if everything is your blame. You're living as if, you know what? I'm not adopted. Nobody wants me. 
God certainly doesn't want me. I'm not redeemed. Look at my life. I'm not forgiven. I constantly mess up. I'm not chosen. Nobody chooses me. I'm not blessed. Look at my life. I'm not holy. I'm a terrible person. God says, since when was this about you? Okay, it's not. Because from the very beginning, it was about his purpose. It was about his praise. It was about his grace. It was about the riches of his grace. It was about his will. It was about his purpose. It was about his plan. It was about his purpose. It was about his will. It was about the praise of his glorious grace so that all of this, all of who I am, is through Jesus and leads me to praise of God. That's why salvation is so powerful. And to reject this or to deny this is to to not understand what is happening on the cross. Folks, this should lead us to abandoning everything that we are to this God who has a plan and a purpose for our life. And it helps me stand up with strength and power through suffering and adversity and say, you know what? He's never let me down. Not once. He's never going to. It's a guarantee. Sealed. The deal is done. So this must be his purpose. This must be his will. This must be his plan so that I would praise him. Some of you here today have never given your life to Jesus. What better day to do that than right here and right now? Would you bow your heads with me? If you would say, Trent, today, I don't know if I've given my life to Jesus, but I want to do that. Just simply make this prayer your prayer. Just say, God, I confess that I am a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And that I can have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of my sins. Come into my life and save me today. I give you my life. And with everybody else praying, I want to ask, is there anybody in the room that would say, Trent, I, I'm, I made that commitment today just now for the first time. If, if you're in this room and you've done that, would you look up here at me so that I can see your face? You mean that, my man? Praise God. Keep looking up here at me as I look at this side. Anybody else on this side? I saw one. Anybody in the middle section? If I don't see you, just kind of wave your hand at me. Anybody at all? I'm looking. I've seen one so far. Anybody on, on the right side, my right? Anybody over here looking at me? Just kind of wave. Here's the deal. If you made that decision, you have just been welcomed into the family of God. You are adopted. You are chosen. You are loved. You are redeemed. You are blameless and holy. Even when you don't feel like it, God says this is who you are. 
And we want to ask that you let us know that today. So before you leave, either on your Connect card, check that box that says, I I accepted Christ today, or go to our care and prayer room before you leave. We've got some folks that are in there who want to pray with you. We want to know. We want to encourage you. In fact, every section in here has a section leader. Section leaders are wearing light blue t-shirts today. They've got a name tag. They want to know. Just go to them and just say, hey, I prayed to receive Christ today. They're going to high-five you, encourage you, and celebrate with you. That's why we're here. We're going to close with a song today. And uh, if you want to sing it, sing it. If you just want to reflect, reflect. If you want to pray, pray. If you want to stand, stand. Whatever God leads you to do in this. But the song speaks the truth that I just preached about. The song sings the power of Ephesians 1 over you today. And when life is its darkest, when the enemy is beating you down, when your confidence is down, when your insecurities are high, when suffering takes place, adversity hits your life, you can know that he is still God. He is still in control. And you are still a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Why? Because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's all leading to the praise of his glorious grace. Give him praise today. Give him the joy that he has done in your life. Lord Jesus, we want to ask that you receive our praise today. Sing this over us and may we sense your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.